This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. Great to have you folks here today. And, and what we're going to be talking about is we're going to be going, moving along with, with our series we've been doing on faith. And we've been looking at it in a number of different ways. We've been looking at how faith, you know, it's actually, it's, it's something that, that actually is different. It's interesting. If you, if you, if we do a time capsule and go back 50 years, faith was just normal. And, and it was just something everybody had a church. Everybody went to church. You know, many of us, like myself, we were raised that way. That certainly isn't the way it works today. And so faith has gone from being something where just culturally, where it was at the very core, the very center, to now something that actually makes us a little different, puts us a little outside of, of the norm. And that doesn't mean that faith is abnormal or anything like that. It just means we're living in different times. And how do we have a faith that's able to understand that, that that's able to grow? And, and I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, and it's, it can feel so unsettling sometimes, at least for me it does, because it, it's, it's hard to get an image of exactly where things are going. And within all that, we can discover a beautiful way to see faith beautiful way to hold it, a beautiful way to, to, to kind of allow it, faith, and the way we define faith in new churches is faith is the eye of love, to kind of develop that and allow it to shape our lives. But it's going to go through phases. We have this first phase where it's the magic, like, like something happens where we have an interaction with someone or something shows up, and it's just this little magical moment. And that's oftentimes where faith starts, this little magical moment. But the moment is here, and then it's gone. So faith evolves from there. And then we start to understand, yeah, there's actually a sacrifice involved in this. There's actually a a giving up of something. And we talked about sacrifice, and sacrifice is actually to make something sacred. For, For any of you, all of you in here, have something you sacrifice to that really makes a difference to you. It could be a relationship. It could be something with work. It could be a nonprofit. No sacrifices actually make that thing sacred. So sacrifice actually, very, very good, positive thing. And this week, I'm going to have you say the C word there. This week is about the the challenge. What is the challenge of faith? You know, and how do we kind of bring on that challenge and, and, and start to understand it? The person we've been looking at is this one, one disciple by the name of Peter. Now, for those of you who aren't aware of kind of the context of the, the stories um, of the Bible, a lot of people aren't, is is. Christ had these 12 people who followed him closely. One of them was by the name of Peter. And the beautiful part about these stories is that these stories are all very, very human. They're not kind of like superhero stuff. Folks, you're just going to give me a yes or no answer, right? Does life always go up and to the right? Yes or no? No, it doesn't. Life does not always go up and to the right. We have good days, we have bad days, we have days when we get it, we have days when we lose it. Uh, my wife today for Father's Day left me a beautiful card. She said, look, it's a marathon race, not a sprint. But there's a good reminder for a parent. We have days when we get it, we have days when we lose it. And that's what we see in Peter's journey, you know, and, and it's, it's this journey where we can, we can see these peaks where magic occurs, and then we can see these troughs where stuff's really tough. And we have to get that somehow both belong. Somehow both kind of have, a, have a, uh, an importance to them, a, a significance. And it gets down to this idea. And this comes from a book named Divine Providence. 
You are created so that you can be more and more, I mean, how do you say that you were there? More and more closely united. Close, more and more closely united to God. Like that's the whole journey of life is this, is this uniting more and more with God. You're made in God's image and likeness. God doesn't make junk. You are an expression of God's freedom. And more and more, you know, God is going to connect you more and more closely to things. Part of that connection, this is like weird. I don't think I can get great words around this, so I'm sorry, but I'll try. Part of that connection is, is getting stuff that's out of the way, out of the way. So that means that, that as we connect more and more, there'll be certain roadblocks that, that will keep us from connecting as we should. And we just need to be aware that's part of the story, that, that there's nothing wrong. I mean, there's something wrong, but there's nothing wrong with something wrong. That it, that it just is, and it may not be connecting at that moment, but, but this will actually help us to, to grow in some way. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at a very famous, famous story from the Bible. And it's a story about this disciple, Peter. So I'm going to read you part of it. And then I'm going to ask for two very brave volunteers who'd be willing to come up front here. And you're going to help me tell the, tell the rest of the story. This is from John 18. Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because the disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest courtyard. Now that may sound like a really bland statement, but this is at the very end of the story. This is right before Christ dies at the hands of the Romans. So Christ has been arrested. He's been taken to stand trial. It's, it's pretty obvious where this story is going. They're, they're accusing him essentially of insurrection. The way that they would kill people who were guilty of insurrection was something known as crucifixion, why, Christ, why Christians wear crosses. And, and that's the history of it. And they would have all known like, oh man, this, this does not end well. This does not end well. So they go into this courtyard, and then the story continues. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, John, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. So you can imagine here, folks, here's this courtyard taking place, and they know that the trial is kind of off to stage left here. And they're entering this courtyard, and and they know what's going to happen. So you can imagine with Peter entering that, like how much, how feared up he is, how deeply, understandably afraid he is at this moment. And that's where we pick up, we pick up this story. That's where we pick up the story. Now, what I need is I need two very brave volunteers who are going to sit down here in these two chairs, and then I'm going to have you read some things. All right. So we need two volunteers. If two of you could just come on down, that would be great. Right there, excellent. Give them a round of applause, folks, for being brave. All right. Now, neither of you are colorblind, right? Nope. All right, because <laughs> you're going to need to read. You're going to need re- read color parts. So I'm going to read the part here that's in black. You're going to read okay. what's in red. Then you're going to hand the mic to her. You get to read the green lines with great aplomb. All right. All right. So this is this is kind of predating this story, right? We have this story. Here's Peter entering the courtyard, right? Peter's entering the courtyard. His, his mind flashes back, flashes way back to something that had happened just a few short weeks before, 
where, or excuse me, actually within 24 hours before, where, where Christ had said like, oh, guess what, dude? You, you're you're going to deny me three times. Christ just blatantly says like, look, you're going to deny me three times. And then this is where we pick up the story. Peter broke in. Even if anyone, everyone else falls to pieces on account of you, I won't. I won't. You can picture one. I won't. Can we all say I won't together? I won't. You know, this big emphatic, like, don't worry, I got your back. You're my boy. Like, I won't. There's no way I'm going to fall. Don't be so sure. And this is, again, I think where we have to think of Christ with a smile. Don't be so sure, Jesus said, this very night before the rooster crows up the dawn, you will deny me three times. Three times. Peter protested. Even if I had to die with you, I would never deny you. All the others said the same thing. So you guys can see where the story's going here, right? It's, it's, it, I mean, think of it being Father's Day, folks, right? How many of us know our kids are going to screw up? Please, all parents, raise your hand, right? Aside from Paul, there's never been a perfect child. You know, like, like uh, you know, we all know our kids are going to, we just know it. It's, it's inevitable, Right? And of course they're going to tell you, no, mom, I promise I'm not going to drink till I'm 21. Is that going to happen? Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. So, so we, can, we can have this image of the way it's supposed to be. And we can very emphatically like, oh, don't worry, I got this all. So now the story goes on and we're over here. Yeah, we're in, we're in the courtyard. And you can imagine in this courtyard, huge fear. I mean, fear, you could cut it with a knife. The trials occurring right over there. These people knew, the Romans, when they did crucifixions, they did them very publicly. So you can imagine where Peter's coming from in his head. What's going on? This girl comes up to him and asks, you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. I'm not. Do you see the little contradiction there, folks? Story goes on. Meanwhile, Peter was still standing there warming himself. Now, this is going to be really important for next week because you're all going to be back next week. All warming themselves around this charcoal fire. Warming themselves around this charcoal fire. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him. Now there's more than one person. Like, hey, that dude really does look kind of familiar. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it saying... I am not. I'm not. I'm not. Like, wasn't me. Wasn't me. That's number two. Guess what's coming, folks? Take a guess. Somebody give me a foreshadowing. Number three. Number three is coming. One of the high priest servants, like this is one of the really, really elites, comes over to him. A relative to the man who had, Peter had cut off a guy's ear. That's a whole nother story. Christ had healed him. That's a whole nother story in himself. But here's the lines. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him, with Christ, in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. Denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crawl. I mean, folks, just just picture yourself in that moment, right? As soon as the words deny are out of your mouth, all of a sudden you hear a rooster. Yeah, that gives you chills, doesn't it? <laughs> it really gives you chills. Like, this is, this is part of the story. Like, don't think, again, like disciples are superheroes. They're not. They're you. They're me. 
We get it. We lose it. And here's the brilliant part. What's the operative D word, Beth? Yeah, big D word. You've been saying a bunch. Denied it. Denied. So it's interesting with that word denied even. Like one of the things I find fascinating, when you look at that word denied, it doesn't say, it doesn't, it's not the word lied. Isn't that interesting? Listen to this. Listen to this. These people really knew what they were talking about when they wrote the Bible thousands of years ago. The word denied means self-denial. That he was denying part of himself. That, that there was something inside of him, a better angel of his nature. That he was going directly against what he knew to be true and good. How many of us have done that? We do it. We just, we just do it. We just do it. And you have to remember, and we'll come back to this, it's not that Christ is saying, look, you're going to totally screw up, totally mess up, totally blow up. No, he says, this is what happens. It's what happens because we're human. It happens because we're imperfect. And we're blessed. And God loves us, even in all that mess. Give these folks a round of applause. Thank you guys for being so brave. So there's great, tremendous power in that story, in that story of these different parts of denial. So, so it gets to this question then, well, what exactly is the challenge? What's the challenge we're talking about here with faith? And I think these are parts of it. Our ego, our self, is this insatiable desire for self-preservation. Like if I feel I'm at risk, I, you know, I... If I really feel like my ego is telling me that I'm at risk, I'm not talking legitimate risk, like somebody holding a gun to your head, but, but if my ego somehow feels threatened, I'm not at my best self. I'll deny stuff. I'll lie. I'll, I'll push things aside. I won't be fully honest or, or make the stands that I should be making. And what happens there is in a shrill, consuming alarm when it feels threatened. When we feel threatened, like the buzzers go off in our heads. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. <laughs> you know, they, they just, the buzzers go off in our heads and we're totally unable to think logically in a way that's settled, in a way that's honest, in a way that comes back to, again to those higher angels of our nature. And all of a sudden our vision flips from being able to see other people, being able to see the world, our vision flips, boop. And the thing becomes all about us. I like these two drawings. I don't know whether I agree with the bottom part. I think a lot of normal people, you know, a lot of anxious. Anyways, I just like these. Field of vision for an anxious person, field of vision for a normal person. You know, that's what happens is that our vision kind of flips in. And we have to learn somehow how to see differently, how to keep that vision going out, how to accept this challenge and move on, how to deal with the fact that we do this. We do this all the time. And that's okay. The trick is to keep moving. And that's what I want to talk about when we come back. Wow, that's beautiful. And that's, and that's what it is. You know, so much of the road is broken. And it's hard, it's hard not to panic when that happens. It's hard not for our ego to feel totally threatened. Again, when we're talking about these two chairs here, these are the same people. We all have that inside of us. 
And when the road feels broken and, and we feel like we're facing challenges, it's so easy, at least for me, to just, just shut down. To, be, to become totally concerned about, about my own personal survival. My own thing. My own skin in the game. That's it. That's all I worry about. And yet faith, I think, is able to hold this. Faith faith is able to go this. This is part of the broken road. God bless the broken road that brought me home to you. Connection. It's a powerful way to hold it when we can start to see that and, and, and start to live into that. Because, because I think crises like this, they, they sort of draw attention to what might need to shift. And I feel so much of what might need to shift is when we feel like life that, that I should be like fill in the blank. I'm going to have you say the last two L words there and the next on the second and third sentence. That this fill in the blank should be like, like this should be like. My marriage should be like, my faith should be like, my this should be like. And that faith, faith should be, that faith should be like. That faith should look a certain way. It doesn't always look a certain way. We're always going so many different places in our lives. You know, and there is, there is this bigger holding. Last week, we looked at the idea of a labyrinth. Um, I realize we have some first time people here. You won't, you won't know what I'm talking about. So, so my apologies for that. A labyrinth was just kind of like this, this course that they used to have in churches. And it was a beautiful thing on a, on the floor and you would kind of walk through it. And one of the genius parts of it to me was, was you come into this labyrinth and you almost directly go to the very middle, but not quite. You're just kind of on the edge of the middle. And he used the example of when we first get married and we feel like, Oh, this is it. And then 18 months later, it's a struggle. Well, well here's, here's the nutty part to it, right? Is, is somebody who just comes into a labyrinth, who's right there by home, somebody who's at the furthest ring out here on a labyrinth is actually closer to home than this person here. Think about that. This person, there's appearance of being closer. This person, they actually are closer. It just doesn't look that way. Something I think very important to remember as we talk about our faith. God simply knows that our faith is a process of getting it and losing it and getting it and losing it. That's again why I think the prediction that he makes here, Peter broke in, even if everyone else falls to pieces on account of you, I won't. Don't be so sure, Jesus said, this very night before the rooster crows up the dawn, you will deny me three times. The fact that it's a prediction tells you that it's just part of our life. Like, we believe in new church. The, the word is our life. Like, it, it is tracing out our life. Not in all its glamorous perfections. It's not like a highly um, scrub thing like, a, like God's Facebook page. It's much more about how life actually looks for us, how it actually works. And something can happen. Again, like I, I may not get the language right, but I hope you can hear me in spirit. My insatiable desire for self-preservation, and for me, a lot of times, frankly, that can come down to money, right? I never have enough. That insatiable desire for self-preservation can become this screen, this block 
that keeps me from connecting with God and continually wraps me back on myself. Where I'm unable to really kind of see these, these bigger and bigger and bigger connections to life. And once we get beyond our idea of self-preservation, it's amazing the connections that can happen. Can I tell you a story? Please say yes. Yes, all right, a little story. This again, for those of you who are first-time attendees, there's New Jersey and there's Ohio. We're trying to go to New Jersey. Sometimes I go to Ohio. So this is going to Ohio for a second. So uh, I get a call yesterday driving back from, from Pittsburgh, and it's from Casey Jacobson, Chris's uh, brother, who's out here from San Diego. And, and they're, they're, they're going through all her stuff, and she has a car. Chris, Chris uh, wasn't married, didn't have any kids, so they've got to figure out what to do with her estate. So they've, they've, they've got a car. They've got to figure out what to do with. So they're like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So they just try to be open about it. And so they start asking around at the hotel. There's a single mom with an autistic kid who needs a car. They signed over the title in the lobby of the hotel. Do you folks see that? Not worried about... Well, I, I got to get my 200 bucks out of that car, you know, whatever, you know, none of the sibling rivalry, just, you know, God bless the broken road. God bless the broken road. And, and that connection, I mean, you just think what that meant to that mom. Mom didn't even know Chris, and I know Chris, and I know Chris is smiling. I know Chris would have loved that, and Chris does love that. Those are the connections, folks. That's what real faith can look like when self-preservation, when that insatiable desire for self-preservation gets pushed aside. And there's a palpable and a powerful flip, a change in perspective. And we can see that over and over again. In honor of Father's Day, I want to show you this next video. And it shows another person who's clearly made that flip, who has this one certain persona that People hold them in, but then the reality is there's this much deeper faith, self-preservation out the window, this much deeper faith coming alive. Take a look at this. We end this Valentine's Day with a lesson in love. Some high school kids learned it from a teacher they thought knew nothing about it. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. At St. Francis High School in La Cañada, California, Anybody? there's something to be said about yeah, math teacher Jim O'Connor. Substitute back for why. The question is, what is that something? Or round it. When you think of him, does the word love come to mind? Obviously not. He's very, uh... For whatever reason, none of these definitely. kids would tell me what they really think of him. Oh, what's the word? Yeah, none of the boys have come in here and said, oh, God, we have hated him, you know, at times. Nobody said that. I wonder why. He's going to be seeing this, right? Oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> Truth is, Mr. O'Connor can be a bit of a drudge. You don't know what you're doing. But the 70-year-old Vietnam vet says he's not here to entertain his students. It drives me crazy when people say school should be fun. I mean, it's nice if it could be, but you can't make school fun. E to the KT times E to the C. And for years. Okay. The kids thought that's all there was to him. Until last November, when senior Pat McGoldrick learned they didn't know the half of him. 
Pat was in charge of a student blood drive and had just come here to Children's Hospital Los Angeles for a meeting. He says it was weird. Whenever he told someone he went to St. Francis High School, they all said, oh, you must know Jim O'Connor. Isn't he wonderful? Wonderful? What? Like, and then it is disbelief, really. It's almost like kind of finding this alter ego that he has. Inside the blood donor center, Pat found a plaque listing all the top blood donors at the hospital, including the record holder, Jim O'Connor. Then he learned something even more unbelievable, that whenever Mr. O'Connor isn't torturing kids with calculus, he's on a whole nother tangent, cuddling sick babies. Come on, you can talk to me. Three days a week for the past 20 years, Jim has volunteered here, stepping in when parents can't to hold, feed, and comfort their children. So low. Nurse Erin Schmidt says he's invaluable. They tend to calm for him. They tend to relax with him. They fall asleep with him. I just like them and relate to them somehow. Is that a smile? Jim's never been married. He has no kids of his own. But he has fallen hard for these babies. I don't want to seem alone. You can't do that. You're not a tough guy at all. I know, but don't, t- don't tell my students. <laughs> if you do the calculation... Sometimes you think you know someone, but you don't have the slightest. Sometimes you think you're learning calculus, but the real lesson is life. I've always like respected him. Um, but now it's in even a, a different degree, really, is to the point where I, where I try to emulate him. He's the epitome of a man of service. What you doing? Steve Hartman, on the road, in Los Angeles. Jim O'Connor, synonymous with love. That's the CBS Evening News. Scott will be along Sunday on 60 Minutes. I'm James Brown, and thank you for joining us. Good night. I'm sure a lot of us have had a teacher like that, right? You know, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful imagery there of, of, of what real faith can start to look like. And what it is, is, is look at this piece of, of new church theology. I just love it. It's not the doctrine around faith that creates a church on this earth or in our hearts. In other words, it's not this big stack of beliefs that does it. Please say the L word. It is the life of faith, which is service that does that. That's, that's just an amazingly beautiful concept around what faith can really start to look like. like it's, it's, I think, so much of the time we think of it like a pile of ideas. And I have my pile of ideas, you have your pile of ideas, I consider faithfulness to believe in my pile of ideas, not being faithful is your pile of ideas. But really it's about life. It's about life. Chris's car, an act of faith. A man holding babies, act of faith. I want to hear what it is from you. I want to hear if some of you are willing to share this. This is faith for me. And I could tell you, but I love our audience. We have such a great congregation. I want to hear from some of you. Like, if you were to answer this question, what is faith for you? What is it? So I'm going to come around the microphone. And, and don't feel, for, for first-time people, don't feel pressured. Don't feel like you're going to, I'm going to call you on the spot. I'm not. Just if you are interested in answering that question, just raise your hand.
Faith for me is knowing that no matter how dismal, hopeless something appears, that I can trust in my faith that everything will work out just the way it's meant to be and be okay. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, faith for me is very much not a noun. It feels like it is in every little choice I'm making between a good path and a bad path. You were calling it the eyes of love. I feel like it's a breeze that blows me in the right direction. I love that idea. It's a breeze. You know, the spirit moves where it will. Someone else? Faith is an opportunity to serve. Faith is an opportunity. That is beautifully said. I mean, how simple is that? Just a simple opportunity to serve. Faith is that I'm a part of something beautiful. Yeah, that faith can be part of just beauty as well. Just faith and beauty going hand in hand. Frank? Um, faith for me at this point in my life is uh, accepting where I'm at in life and not having to change the events or the people in my life. That's good. It's good. And the, the idea like the people that are in our lives are the ones who are supposed to be. We're, we're where we're supposed to be and that there is this bigger, beautiful picture out there as well. Could you folks give all those people a round of applause? Thank you. Right, so this is, this, I'm a pastor, so I'm much more wor wordy and less profound than you folks. So could you please all say, that's okay, Chuck? <laughs> Thank you. So this is my very wordy answer to this. I couldn't help myself. I'm just like, I got to type something. So, so, so No groans. So this is what I said. Faith for me is a home. A home among dear friends and family that seeks to follow together. Christ's model of how to live. A model that embraces all of humanity, that dedicates itself to service, that leans into suffering with a loving spirit, and you could say wind there, loving spirit of compassion, and holds with tenderness both ourselves, our fellow human beings, and all of creation. I think faith... In the end, what this story is about, it's about normalizing that faith is a broken road. It's about normalizing that we do have these moments where we don't get it. But more importantly, we have these moments when we do. We have these moments of clarity where we get somehow, somehow, as Frank said, it all belongs. Somehow, somehow, if I just take the step into service, it will work. If I allow beauty to move my heart, it will go. If I just have a simple trust, a simple trust that for good or for ill, God is constantly moving us forward. You say this a lot. I say it way too much, but it always makes me chuckle a little bit. The only thing a pastor offers is that I read the end of the book and it's all good. Um, you know, and I really do believe that to be true. I really do believe, and that's, that's faith for me. I, uh, you know, it's, it's not intellectual constructs anymore. 
And it's not to belittle intellectual constructs. They're really important. They're why we're here to try to understand and learn. And those things are bridges to get us to certain pieces of faith. To see things in different ways. To understand it in our hearts. And maybe just this. Like we we had this conversation in our sermon writing team. And somebody said in the end, if we really get faith, we'll just get this, this very simple piece. That we're on call. Isn't that good? Like, we're just on call. We're on call to to just see where we can serve. We're on call to allow that wind or that breeze to move us. We're on call around beauty. We're, We're on call around connection. We're on call of living fully in the lives that God has given us, the times when we're in a good place and the times when we're not, but living fully there. And the miracle of faith can start to grow. And we start to settle in a faith of our hearts. So think about just being on call this week. Finding those opportunities. Responding with faith when you get the opportunity to do so. Thank you. What we're going to do now is I'm going to offer a prayer. Then you're going to have an opportunity to say your own prayer, the Lord's Prayer as you know it. And then Will is going to teach us a little song. It's a beautiful song that he wrote. Really beautiful song on faith. And then that'll be it. So please join me in a prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here among us today. And Lord, let us go out of here a little more filled with faith. Not again a faith that is certain or a faith that knows all things, but a humble faith. A faith open to serve. Faith open to the breeze, to the beauty, to the connection that is you. Push aside, Lord, please, that shrill voice of our egos, clamoring for attention, clamoring to somehow have a certainty in this world that we never will. And allow us to have the certainty that is your will, that is your way, that is your path, the path we're on here today. Thank you for your presence, Lord, and bless this amazing congregation. Bless the fathers here. Bless those that we hold in spirit today on Father's Day. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv. 